Hey, I know some of you guys recognize this beautiful face right here. If you're watching us online, right? Yeah. I have to say, though, I got to kind of brag a little bit. I remember way back in the days when we were younger, <laughs> back in the breakthrough days. I'm talking about, like, really early in the days in our faith. And um, I remember you coming up to Gainesville, and we used to sit down and talk about Jesus and what the Lord was doing. And here we are, you know, years later, how the Lord has brought us back together to do ministry. And, I mean, it just, bro, so excited to have you down here. This is actually your hometown, yep. right? Stumping Grounds, South 305, Florida. represent. Yeah, come Let's on, go. Somebody. Yeah. <laughs> but he's not alone. He's actually got his beautiful wife, um, Stephanie, and beautiful baby boy. My mini-me. Josiah. Josiah Joel. Yeah. <laughs> hey, everyone, this is Pastor Joel Romulus. He is um, one of the pastors up in Gainesville um, Greenhouse. That's right. Excited. Yes, um, man, we're excited that he's going to bring uh, the word this morning. I'm just going to pray a blessing, bro, and let me say this. Just bring it. Listen, Let's you know go. it. You know it. Hey, just church family, just get ready. All right? Just get ready. <laughs> Jesus, thank you so much for this vessel. Thank you for much, so much for this, um, this mouthpiece that you have brought down here to bring a message of hope, a message of change, a message of transformation, in a message that is going to spark us to really go after you wholeheartedly. So, Jesus, even right now, I pray that you will ignite my brother and that that, that that will ignite us to become who you have called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Bring amen. Amen. Praise God. Okay, I'm glad they reset my clock. My clock was already winding down. That's like kryptonite to a black preacher, all right? I need all the time I can get. But I... I am so thrilled to be with you all this morning. Such a blessing, as Robert was mentioning, this is my stumping grounds. Uh, this is where the Lord molded me and shaped me. And a lot of who I am today as a preacher, as a minister of the gospel, is due in great part to me being immersed in this community. Uh, Zara Derekito, who's not here, um, men like Jonathan Shaw, John Lash, poured into me and helped me to be who I am today. So I'm so thrilled, so excited to open up God's word. It's always a privilege and an honor for me to preach the word. Uh, what the Apostle Paul calls through the foolishness of preaching, we are saved. And so if you have a Bible, they got my clock going down, so we're going to go ahead and get started. Jump up on your feet as a way of honoring the reading of God's word and turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 20. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. And it says these words, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the, of, of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want to speak to you all for the next three hours. Yeah, I'm speaking for three hours. No, I'm just kidding. 
for the next few minutes, 32 minutes to be exact, from the simple subject titled, It All Comes Down to This. It all comes down to this. Will you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you so much for the privilege we have to open up your word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will abide forever. Father, I pray that you move up and down every aisle. Touch, heal, and deliver. Get glory here in this place. Throw your weight around, God. And as always, let the meditation of our heart and the words of our mouth be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at someone next to you and tell them it all comes down to this. As you take your seat. With five seconds left on the clock, the home team is down by one point and the coach calls a timeout, draws up a play to give one of his best players the ball. He goes down the lane and seeks to score the basket and is fouled and now he is at the free throw line to hit two free throw shots and it all comes down to this. Young man dating a Lady, for quite some time, for weeks, he's carrying around a ring in his pocket and he's waiting for the perfect moment to pop the question and then finally, he, he books the perfect restaurant and it's the perfect music and he finds the perfect words and he gets on one knee and he looks her in the eye and he pops the big question and it all comes down to that moment. Couple waiting for what seems like years, waiting to have that ultrasound to figure out whether the baby will be pink or blue or whether it will be two, to figure out what, what's going on. And if you're like my wife and I, we waited for 25 weeks because uh, we caught COVID and, that, and that's why if you saw the video, your boy was going crazy when I found out what I was having. But the couple finally goes and, and the ultrasound tech reveals to them this decision that would alter and drastically change their lives forever. It all came down to that one moment. It all comes down to this, it's this phrase, it's this reality where you and I experience these defining moments in our lives, these critical moments that shifts and changes everything forever. Matthew here in his account is revealing to us one of these moments that these disciples are having right now. Matthew places us, you and I, the reader, into this earth-shattering scene where these disciples are getting ready to have a moment that would define them and mark them for the rest of their lives. Up until this point, they have had other defining, life-defining moments with their Messiah, their Mashiach, their rabbi. One of the very first is when he called them to leave and forsake everything in order to follow him. And they left their businesses and they left their possessions and they left those who they loved to follow this unheralded and unheard of rabbi from the hood called Nazareth. And they forsook everything in order to follow him. 
But as they continued to follow him, they realized his authority. They began to grasp who exactly he was. Bible says as they continue on in this journey that at one point they heard the power and the manifold wisdom and the insight that he spoke with on the mount as he shared the Beatitudes. They realized, man, what great power and authority in which he spoke. But not only did they realize his power and authority through the words that he spoke, but they also realized it over creation. One point in time, they're with Jesus, and they're going across the Sea of Galilee, and all of a sudden, Hurricane Katrina shows up on the scene, and they're afraid, and they're worried, and Jesus wakes up like a G and calms the sea. It says, peace, be still. And they realize that not only did he have power and authority through his words, but he had power and authority over creation. And as the disciples would continue to journey with this rabbi, they would realize not only his power and authority and words and over creation, but they would realize it through the transfiguration. They would realize him cleanse the leper and raise the dead and give sight to the blind and cast out demons. They realize his power and authority. But in the final verses of Matthew 28, Matthew is making it utterly apparent That it all comes down to this one moment. This one moment eclipses all the other moments. This one moment is a life-defining moment. Matthew is suggesting to the disciples, not only the ones that were present during that time, but to the disciples all throughout the ages and to you and I, that Jesus' last command should be our first priority. Matthew gives us here the report of what takes place in those defining and critical moments. He shares this with us in the following verses that we read. And the first thing I want to highlight with you all, the thing that I want to underscore that I believe Matthew is highlighting, is that all who call on Jesus, all who believe in him, we must believe in the claim in which he makes about himself. And that's the very first point this morning. It's a claim for all to believe. Matthew 28, verse 18 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now let's take a look at this statement in verse 18. And it's important that we note the context in which Jesus makes this claim. The preceding verses says in verse 17, and they saw him and they worshiped him, but some doubted. Here you have the post-resurrected Jesus Christ who just recently, he's coming fresh from the grave after defeating Satan and letting him know, listen, there's a new sheriff in town. After he freshly wrecked shop and made things right, he now subsequently is coming to these disciples to entrust to them this mission to change the world. And Matthew wants us to know that some worshipped, but then others doubted. What he's highlighting here is extremely important for you and I. Despite their doubt. Jesus still chose to entrust this grand mission, this most important mission, to men who doubted. 
I want that to sink in just a little bit. Because I know if I was getting ready to do anything, any type of mission, anything with significance or weight, I would not have chosen a bunch of fearful men. Whether it was to put together a board or to do something or, or, or to select a group of people in order to tackle some particular task, I would not have chosen fearful and, fearful and men who were afraid. Yet, we find here as we do in other places all throughout Scripture that God is willing to use weak and wretched and fearful men like you and me in order to continue to push the mission of making disciples. They didn't have a 501c3. They didn't have a million followers on the gram or, or, or on TikTok. They didn't have a building program. They didn't, have, they didn't have funds. They didn't have a building. They didn't have anything of that nature. But Jesus still charges them to be his witnesses in the world. Matthew is, 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 is speaking to you and I, and he's letting us know, listen, God does not use us based on our credentials or our pedigree or our status. The only prerequisite for being used in the kingdom of God is this one prerequisite. Do you believe? He highlights for us that there is a claim about who he is that you must believe. And this is good news, folks. This is good news that God is willing to use all of us despite our mess-ups and our hang-ups and all the ways that we blow it. He's still saying, I'm knocking on your door and I'm willing to use you for my glory if only you will believe. See, faith is not about putting God in a box and, and tying it in a bow of correct doctrine. Faith is about the resurrected Christ and believing all of the implications that means for you and I and the authority and power that he has in the universe. This befuddles us and baffles us because if you and I have a great work or a task to complete, we often, the first thing we would do is try to find the right tool, the powerful tool that would enable us and help us to get the job done. But listen, when you're talking about the all-powerful one, the almighty one, it doesn't matter what tool in which he uses. What matters is the one who possesses the tool has the power to complete the task. Which means that it doesn't matter, Joel, if you know my background, Joel, if you know my upbringing, Joel, if you know what I did last night, Joel, if you know the problems and the snares and the addictions that I have battled. No, God is saying I have still made you my number one draft pick. You are the one I desire to use. You are the plan that I have to bring the truth of the gospel to the ends of the earth. It all comes down to this, friends. Matthew highlights for us here this crucial reality that if we would dare to believe it, he would use us for his glory. The old saints would say God is still able to take crooked sticks to make straight lines. He is willing to use you and I Despite your doubts, despite your fears, despite your mess-ups, despite your hang-ups, I can't tell you how many times the Lord has chosen to use me despite all of my doubts and all of my mess-ups and all of my hang-ups. 
I, I try to keep it 100 when I preach. Can I keep it 100 with you all? I don't know a moment where I have preached or I have gotten on stage where there wasn't doubt or trepidation or fear or nervousness or thoughts of, man, will, will they like me? Or, or will the sermon tank? Or will it even last? But as I have journeyed with the Lord, as I've gone from faith to faith, the moment he first called me at 17, and I was so fearful and scared out of my mind to preach, but I decided just to step out, realizing it's not about my ability, but it's about his power. It's not about my faithfulness, but it's about he is faithful when I am faithless, for he will not deny himself. And can I be a witness and tell you, never have I seen him fail me. Never have I seen him forsaken. It's not, there were moments I didn't pray enough. There was moments I didn't fast enough. There was moments I didn't seek him enough and he still has come through. Man, I, 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 I gotta move on, but I wanna sit here for a minute because there's some of you all who, you're bind by fear and you're bind by trepidation. And God is saying, listen, if you would ever release and relinquish that fear, there's a glory awaiting you on the other side. There's a life and a world and a version of yourself that God desires you to walk in. If you would only believe his claim, you would believe who he says he is. Walk in that freedom. Walk in that power. You have these unschooled, unlearned fishermen who goes and turns the world upside down. The early church believed this so much and took this so seriously that in Acts 17:6, this is what they called them and called them in Thessalonica. They said, these men who have turned the world upside down, these are the men who've, who've come to turn the world upside down. They were given this nickname of wherever they went, they turned the world upside down. And I come to tell you today, I come to declare to you today that God is still in the business of turning the world upside down. He still wants to turn your office where you work at upside down. He still wants to turn the neighborhood in which you pass by every single day upside down. He still wants to turn that coworker or that family member that you're praying for. He wants to turn their world upside down. Down, he just has to find vessels that are willing. The kingdom of heaven is a countercultural kingdom. He, in our world, we give promotion and we give accolades to those who are deserving. In the kingdom, God doesn't use those who are deserving, He uses those who are willing. Willing. To believe. To believe what exactly, Joel? What, what, what exactly to believe? Verse 18 says that, that all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The crucial imperative of the Great Commission rests on the indicative. Imperative is what we are to do. Indicative is what is true. The imperative of the Great Commission rests on what is true of what Jesus has declared that all power and all authority has been given to me. Jesus has all power. He has all authority. Power speaks to the ability to get something done. Authority speaks to the legal right, the jurisdiction 
to exercise such power. In the sports world, a great athlete has the power to move the ball down the court or up and down the field. But the referee has the authority to restrict or to disqualify or to limit that athlete's power. The athlete can have all the fanfare, all the fan support, all the shoe endorsements, all of these things behind him, and all the referee has is an itty-bitty, wacky, tacky old striped black jersey with a whistle. But yet that referee has the authority to disqualify that athlete. His power, his authority trumps the athlete's power. And the authority that referees have in the sports world, Jesus says he has in the entire world. And no one can trump his power. There is no instant replay. There is no fan protest. There is no commissioner ruling that can overrule the power and the authority of the Messiah, the Jesus, the Christ, who risen from the dead. No one can trump his power. No one can veto him. He has all power and all authority in his hand. Jesus says, all power and authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Here, Matthew 28, he makes one of the greatest Christological statements in the New Testament. Because there is so much talk and conjecture of Jesus just being one of, one of the other good prophets. Matthew is making it undoubtedly and unequivocally known that Jesus is not just one among the many great prophets. No, Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is God. See, you can't walk away from this statement with, with the middle ground. Either he's a liar or a lunatic or he is Lord. He makes it extremely clear of his power and authority. And here's the reality. Our mission in the world begins with the belief that we have and the claim that Jesus makes that all power and authority rest is given to him. It begins there. But not only does it begin there, the belief of the claim that Jesus makes, but secondly, we must obey the commission Jesus gives. So number one, it's a claim for all to believe. Number two, it's a commission for all to obey. Verse 19 through 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The single imperative in verse 19 through 20 is to make disciples. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. The word disciple simply means to be a student, to be a learner, to be a follower. It, it underscores the fact that influence is inevitable. People are actually making disciples all the time. People make disciples of get on that keto diet. Man, it's, it's been changing my life. People make disciples on, man, you got to jump into cryptocurrency. You, people make disciples in talking about environmentalism, and, and they make disciples in talking about Apple. They put it on their, 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 their mugs. They put it on their cars. They, they, they make disciples everywhere they go. The question is, what type of disciple are you making? That, that, that is the question. 
What type of disciple are you making? Are you making disciples and fashioning them based on the culture and norms of the world? Or are you making disciples based on how Jesus has outlined for us here in this text? Every single person under the sound of my voice who believe the claim and who have surrendered their hearts to Jesus is responsible for making disciples. The question then becomes, what what, what does that task look like? What, What does it look like to make disciples? And I'm so grateful that Jesus doesn't just leave us to guess or to conjecture or to try to figure it out on our own. He outlines for us what it means to be a disciple. Verse 19 says, go. The imperative in this text is not the word go, it's the word making disciples, but the tense of the word go might be better understood when it's read as, as you are going, make disciples. As you are living life, make disciples. As you are going to school, speak to those realities of our everyday experience. This this going speaks to the fact that as we are going, we are called to impact others for Christ. We are called to share the good news as you go to school and as you go to work and as you go through your neighborhood, as you sit on the sideline at your kid's soccer match. You are called to make disciples. You are called to ask yourself that most important question that Reverend Martin Luther Luther King Jr. pressed us all to ask. Life's most urgent and most important question is what are you doing for others? As you are going, you should be asking yourself, who can I serve? Who can I encourage? Who can I uplift? Who can I pray for? Who can I share the good news of the gospel with? Who can I uplift? Who needs uplifting? Who can I bless? As you are going, you are called to make disciples. As you go about your way, you are called to have eyes of Christ, to Scope out wherever you are and say, Lord, who is it? You've allowed me to come. You see, this, is, this changes everything where we, we think that we just, we're going to the grocery store or we're going to eat at a restaurant. But when you're called and you're commissioned into the army of the Lord, you just no longer casually go somewhere. Everywhere you go is loaded with divine appointment and sovereign providence that God has placed you in that specific time and purpose in order for you to share the good news of what he's done for you, to share the love of God with those that are around you. So number one, what does it look like to make disciples? It's, it's to go. It's as you are going, which I want to say parenthetically, some of us may be called to go overseas And if you're here and God's been working in you and he's been putting that on your heart, I want to challenge you, as I did in the previous point, to go and obey him, to jump, to take that leap of faith. You will never regret it because there is glory for you and there is a reality and a revelation of God that you would only get until you obey him. But for the rest of us, the reality is God wants us to be faithful right where we are with our coworkers with our neighbors, with the waitress or the host at that restaurant, that you will, as you are going, you will make disciples. But secondly, he outlines for us baptizing. Baptizing 
is a part of what it looks like to make disciples. And it's not merely an event that we check on some religious box. Baptism is an immersion. It's to be completely immersed into the life of Christ. It's to identify with his death, his burial, and his resurrection, which means a part of baptism is in many ways some, uh, like a civil disobedience. Where we say, Jesus, my allegiance is not to the things of this world. My allegiance is to the supreme, glorious God, our Father. That to be baptized is to identify with the suffering of Christ. But it's also to identify with the victorious reigning of Christ. He says to baptize, that, do mean, that does mean some of us in here who've never actually obeyed God to be baptized. Your first step of getting on mission is to actually obey that. But for the rest of us, baptism is not a one-time event. Daily, we are in many ways to be baptized into the life of Christ. That means we, are, we should be willing to choose to deny ourselves in order for someone else to see the love and the pursuit of Christ over them. Making disciples require us to go, but secondly, it requires us to baptize. Thirdly, it requires us to teach. Teaching. Jesus says, as you're going, make disciples. And notice, Jesus didn't tell them to make converts. He told them to make disciples. The reality is conversion is a one-time deal, a one-time event. To make disciples is to teach them. It's this lifelong humility and this lifelong approach that you're saying, I'm going to be a lifelong learner, that I'm going to open myself to teaching. I'm going to open myself to hear what God has to say through his word. A disciple is engaged in that process of, of lifelong learning and investigating and growing. We are called to teach. And here's the reality. Oftentimes, we think that what I'm doing here is, is teaching. But I love what Paul says. He says, listen, we, we did not just share with you the gospel. We gave you our very lives. We poured into you our very lives. Listen, we are called to teach but oftentimes we think that, man, I'm going to reach my Muslim friend or I'm going to reach this Jewish friend that I have who don't believe in Jesus. I'm going to reach them by teaching. But many times God allows our actions to hit others before our words can. That we are called to have a fragrance and aroma of grace that when we are entering into a place, there's this presence of Jesus. There's this humility and confidence. There's this grace and mercy. There's this steadfastness and this, this hardworking ethic that wherever we go, we permeate the place with the presence of Christ. This is the teaching that Jesus refers to. He says, teaching them to observe. What does it mean to observe? That means eyes are on you. That means there's a watching world looking to see, do you actually believe the claim that Jesus has made that all power and authority is in his hands? Because if you do, you should live in a, such a way that reflects that truth. That yes, you still may have fear, but you realize God can conquer all your fears. Yes, you still may have struggles, but you realize God can conquer all your struggles. Yes, you may find yourself with a difficult report at the doctor or a wayward child who hasn't come back to the faith 
Whatever it is that you might find yourself dealing with throughout the vicissitudes of life, and yes, we experience those realities, but not as the world experienced them. Why? Because we believe that all power and authority is in the hand of the one who's altogether lovely and altogether worthy and altogether powerful, the one who will work out the perfect will for you and I. All power and authority. We are called to teach, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. So number one, making disciples, Matthew outlines first it begins with a claim for all to believe. Then it's a commission for all to obey. Have you obeyed that commission? Have you said yes? I love how D.L. Moody said it. He says, you know, at one point he's working as a shoe seller and God tapped him on the shoulder and he said yes. And we all know the impact of his life, but he has this phrase that I love. He says, the world has yet to see what God will do through a heart, through a man that's fully surrendered to him. I tell you what, Western High School, Faith Family, the world has yet to see what God will do through a heart that's fully and utterly devoted onto him. Your family have yet to see what God will do through a heart that says, Lord, I know I'm broken. I know I'm, I don't have it all together. I can be a mess. I can be towed up from the flow up at times. But God, I believe that you are able and I believe that you are powerful. That even if my heart condemns me, I believe that you are greater than my heart. And you know all things that I believe that you can and you will use me. The world has yet to see what God will do through a heart that's fully surrendered and devoted to him. So there's a, a, a claim that we are all called to believe. There's a commission we're all called to obey. And in closing, there's a comfort that Jesus gives us in all times. Matthew 28, 20 says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Oh, beloved, what great comfort. What great comfort. I am with you always to the end of the age. As you are going to live out my mission, as you are obeying my commission, I give you this comfort that I am with you always to the end of the age. See, Matthew here is, is bookending for us his report and his account of Jesus' life. You remember in Matthew chapter 1, verse 3, he announces to us that, behold, the virgin shall give birth. She shall be bore a son, and we will call his name Emmanuel, translated with us, God with us. And Matthew here in the final few verses of his account of Jesus' life, he books in the beginning of the gospel with the end with the same truth. God is with us. What great comfort. I remember when I was younger, a young child, I had a terrible fear of the dark. Maybe it was all the crazy movies and stuff that I was exposed to, but I was terribly fearful of the dark and I had responsibility, I had a task, I had a mission. My dad was not gonna allow us to be in the house without having chores and one of my chores was to take out the trash. And I was to take out the trash before 
the truck would come, and I would have to do it at night, and there'd be times where I, I was utterly fearful, and I didn't want to do it. And I remember my dad, what he would do is he would still have me fulfill the task that I needed to fulfill, but what he would do is he would be out under the patio area with the light on. He will watch me go take out the trash. And I remember the comfort of knowing that my father was there, that whatever boogeyman or whatever crazy thoughts that I had that someone, Jeepers Creepers or Freddy Krueger was going to come and get me, I was comforted by the truth that my dad was there, that his presence was with me, that whatever it was that I thought I would face, that I knew that he can overcome it, I knew that he can see me through, I knew that I would be able to complete the task and the mission he has called me to. What good news, beloved, that we carry out the mission of Jesus with both his power and his presence. His perpetual presence, understand the scope of this is he is with you always or all the days. The reality, there's, there's not a moment or a second from the time that you were born and you breathe your first breath to the time that you will behold him in glory, that he will not be with you. Oh, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. You are not in it by yourself, beloved. God is with you. God is with you. Not only is his divine sovereignty on your side, but his divine sovereignty is by your side. Like a sweet friend, like a brother who walks with you and he talks with you and he says that you are his own. And the joy that we share as we tarry right there, none other has ever He's inviting you into mission. He's inviting you into his story, into his journey. Psalm 46, verse 1 through, through 3 says, God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we shall not fear, though nations rage, kingdoms totter. Then it says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Isaiah 41 verse 10 is one of my favorite because I still deal with my fears and I still deal with my doubts. I still deal with my insecurities. And every now and then I will, by God's spirit, pull up down deep in my soul courage through his word. It says, do not be dismayed. Do not be fearful for I am with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you, I will uphold you with my victorious, righteous right hand. Oh, what great word, what great truth, what great promise. The saints of old would say in this famous hymn, it says, I have seen the lightning flash. I heard the thunder roll. I felt sinners, sins breakers dashing, trying to conquer my soul. I've heard the voice of Jesus telling me still to fight on, to preach on, to pray on, to keep on, to love on. He promised never to leave me. No, no, he promised never to leave me alone. He will never leave you alone. 
that is the source of our confidence of taking this mission, taking this glorious gospel to the ends of the world. Our confidence lies in the fact that he's with us. The fact that our father is right there as we go through a very dark, a very desolate, a very weary world, an antagonistic world where hate and, 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 and bigotry and vitriol are all over surrounding us, seeking to, to grab a hold of our soul. But we can be of good cheer. Not only has he overcome the world through his power and authority, not only has he made death look like a fool, but we can take courage in that. The God of all creation and all power, he is with us. He'll never leave us alone. Well, what's the application, Joe? Well, it's very simple because my time is out. I want to charge you, saints. I want to charge you in this world, in this time that we're in, that you would go and believe his claim. Some of you all in here, it, it, you will believe it for the very first time. You've, you've heard, you might, man, Jesus, Jesus is a liar. The disciples stole his body. He didn't really rise, rise from the dead. You've done all your research and you've come to the conclusion that it is not true. I want to encourage you today to believe the claim, the proof is in the pudding. Christ has risen from the dead and there's a glorified body in heaven right now to prove it. He's interceding on your behalf. He desires you to come to know him. But to some of us in here, the call is that as you are going throughout your day, you are called to live with such great intentionality to see who is it I can bless, who is it I can encourage. And then lastly, I wanna leave you with this truth. He is with you always. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. In closing, there's a story that I really love that really paints the picture of what Jesus has done for us. He says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. I've opened up myself to you. And here's the reality that intimacy, authority comes after intimacy. Later in that verse in John 15, he says, listen, I no longer call you friends. I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. And he says, ask of me anything in my name and I will give to you. That as you become a friend of God, you now receive and tap into the authority of God. And there's a story that Chuck Coson shares of these young prisoners of war. And they are in this POW camp and every single day they're tasked with the duty of working from sun up to sundown, night in and night out. They're working and laboring and toiling and they're after their work, they're commissioned to turn in their tool. On this one day, one particular day, as they turned in their tool, the guard was there to give an account and he went to count the tools to make sure every single one had turned them in. For whatever reason, when he counted, there was 20 of them, but this time there was only 19. He turned fiercely looking at them and said, which one of you did not bring in your tool? Immediately, all of them put their heads down in fear and in trepidation and with greater intensity and greater anger, he looks at them and says, which one of you did not bring in your tool? They kind of look down and just paralyzed by fear finally, he comes and he grabs his gun. He says, if one of you do not speak up and let me know which one did not bring in your tool, I'm going to start killing you all one by one. 
And it all came down to that moment. It all came down to that critical period, that critical point, that critical juncture. And in that moment, a boy stepped forward and said, it was me. The guard grabs him and puts the gun to his head and kills him. His friends, utterly moved and utterly stunned, the guard walks away in rage. They go back and they recount the tools and realize the guard miscounted. It was actually 20, not 19. And in that moment, that young 19-year-old boy with his life hanging in the balance, no longer would he be able to go and throw the ball with his dad or go take that girl out for prom or experience graduation. In that moment, he was willing to lay down his life for the sake of his friends. He was willing to give himself for them. I want you to know as we close out that that is what Jesus has done for us, that in that moment when he was in the garden, it all hanging in the balance. Father, would you take this cup away from me? Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. It all came down to that one moment and he was willing to go to the cross for you and I. He was willing to give himself for us. My call as we close, there might be some of you all in here for the very first time it's clicked in your mind and in your heart that Jesus was willing to go to that extent to such great lengths in order for you and I to be convinced that he is who he says he is and therefore what he says of you is true. You are love, you are never alone and he desires you to take that love and to propagate it all throughout the world. Will you answer the call? He's knocking on the door of your heart. Would you surrender to him this morning? If you're here and you need to do that, as I close, the band is gonna come and lead us in just one, one more course of worship. I want to call you, if the Spirit of God is working in your heart, that you would surrender and submit. And to the rest of us, as we've realized what Jesus, our good friend, has done for us, as we realize the love, we allow that to penetrate the very depths of our soul, I pray we would go and spread that love wherever we go, where we make his name known. Jesus is Lord, and it's the greatest news in all of the universe.